Tim and Tom. Hey, let's start with you, because typically you always start this fun conversation saying, hey, Tom, what'd you do? And, you know, it's always fun to mix it up every so often. Mm -hmm. So, hey, Tim, what'd you do this past week? Uh, I went to Metro Pro. We talked about it last episode in one of your events. Yeah, uh, how was re- it? The return of Metro Pressing was really awesome. Sold out place at the Turner Rec Center in Kansas City, Kansas. The National Wrestling League, which we had covered on here, obviously folded up, closed shop, and they returned to Metro Pro, which is what was in place kind of before NWL came around. We're big pro wrestling fans, our Tom and I. It's like a family. Indeed. You know what I mean? It's like yep. a family affair there. They, they At the end of Metro Pro there, they were doing them every two months. Uh, once every two months and i mean you just kind of looked forward to it you knew who was coming around and this time uh, i took my son because uh nobody loved me everybody left town you left town my wife left town and those are the only two people that care about me so uh you know like and you barely i mean you know just you know probably more so for the podcast but yeah uh, you didn't have to answer you did not need to say <laughs> anything in that moment right there but thanks man i appreciate it that's why we're friends i guess so you know <laughs> you weren't here Wife well, wasn't here, so I was like, I'll take my son. I, we took him to SmackDown once, but he was a little too young, I think, for it. If you'll remember, he did not really want to be there. You know what I mean? He was interested right. in wrestling. He'll watch the wrestling on the on the tablet, but was kind of, you know, bored. I mean, he was probably, I don't know, seven. I don't even remember at the time when we took him. Uh, and was really like, can we go? And I'm like, nah, it was a house show, you know. So I was like, ah, well, let me go check with Swim Trunk there, my son, and see uh, if he has any interest, right? A little older now, and I was like, Hey, dude, because we call him that a lot around the house, dude. Like, hey, dude. Mm-hmm. I said, uh, you have any interest in going to Metro Pro Wrestling? I told him NWL closed and Metro Pro was coming back. And he was like, um, and I was like, I was like, here's what I plan on doing. I plan on going there and making fun of the bad guys. And he was like, yeah, all right, I'm in. <laughs> I was just like, all right. And he was like, all right, cool. And I was like, all right, yeah, all right, we're going then. Right. And so I went down and bought some tickets online and, uh, Went to the show. Uh, we got there early because I wanted to get in line, right? I was like, we got to get good seats if we're going to heckle the guys, right? If we're going to heckle the heels. Of course. You can't be up in the in the bleachers. They could hear you, but it's a lot more fun when they're close enough to want to smack you for it, right? You know what right. I mean? It makes it more interesting. Mm-hmm. So, And we know these folks, so I was like, this is going to be good, right? Because they'll play into it. That's what the, you know, for anybody not understanding pro wrestling, you know, the bad guys are trying to get you to boo. They want you to scream. You know what I mean? They want you to, to holler at them. So it's part of the fun, right? So everybody's there that we knew from before, right? I mean, all, all the the podcasters are there, all the regulars. Uh, Medea is there with her son, uh, screaming and hollering uh, every obscenity you could think of, uh, and it was great. The show was amazing. They had they instantly came out, and and Jeremy Wyatt and the foundation came out, and they're they're killing it. They're making fun of the NWL closing down. Tom, we'll talk more offline. Uh, they had an amazing match between Hoodie Hallett and Haku from WWE fame, Haku Ming, known as the most toughest alpha male in the history of the world from every pro wrestler you ask. If you meet oh, a pro every. wrestler, you ask him, and they'll tell you Haku. Yeah. And this was it's almost a-, a law in pro wrestling, like how there's a law yeah. of gravity. It's the law of badass and it's Haku. Right. Like, I mean, I'm almost like that's, you know, not exactly the same, but it's, it's a law. It's, it's an accepted fact yeah. in pro wrestling. I bet if you go into a pro wrestling locker room and somebody were to overhear another wrestler mentioning somebody else as the most badass man in the history of the business, 
uh, that person may no longer work again. It's kind of one of those deals, right? So right. exactly the the idea behind that was Hoodie Hallett was going, who's awesome. Uh, we love that guy, by the way. Yeah, we you know friend of the show from from before. Uh, just super nice guy. Uh, but it was his goal to beat him, and he'll be known as you know. I mean, the toughest guy, and they put on a brutal match. I mean, it went into the crowd. Uh, everybody was loving it. It was great. Show was great. We got to see some old friends. We saw the Regal Twins. We saw Shark Bait. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so Michael Strider, who came on Tim and Tom to talk to about talk to us about the NWL. Um, great show. I don't know when their next one is coming out. I don't know if they've announced that, but it's a can't miss for anybody that's into the pro wrestling. And boy, we got to heckle some heels. Really got into Michael Strider a lot because uh, he really he really uh, is really good at what he does. You know. He is great. I mean, the whole foundation from Ace to jeremy white to michael strider they know how to play their roles as a bad guy they're suited for it they're born for that role and uh michael strider of the three is the craziest one so he'll be the more memorable uh jeremy wyatt is probably i would say of the three probably the best all-around wrestler there's four there's well, lucy mendez too well, but Lucy Mendez is, is a woman, and not to say like men and women are different, but they serve different roles, and you're going to compare the three men. That's there what was, I'm doing. There here. was an so, awesome match between her and uh, Marty Bell, too. That's a good one, too. Yeah, and of course, and she's awesome. Lucy is. Uh, but Jeremy Wyatt, I think, is accepted as like the best wrestler oh, of the yeah. three. And then Ace Steel is, oh, and Ace Steel is almost like an Arn Anderson, like a grizzled veteran. He's trained CM Punk, if you're aware of that name. He's trained. Uh, other uh, Colt Cabana, other names like that. And he knows how to just work over a crowd. Uh, fun thing that I did uh, in relation to uh, Metro Pro is for some reason I was going through photos because I unloaded all my photos before my trip just to make sure I had space to um, have photos on my phone, you know, one of those things. And I had this random photo of Ace Steel putting uh, shark bait in a, a camel clutch. Yeah. And I posted that on Instagram just because yeah. it was fun. <laughs> Uh, a steel was great too. So, uh, for anybody not in the know, you know, the NWL used to be, uh, what, well, Metro pro was around NWL bought Metro pro. They became NWL. So Jeremy Wyatt was alluding to, you know, you come out pro wrestling's real great about, they don't leave an elephant in the room untalked about, right? I mean, they're going to mention it right, right out of the game. So he comes out and he was like, the first thing he says, he's like, guys, I had the craziest dream last night. I dreamt there used to be this big video board right back here behind us. Uh, and he was like, and then he points over at Don Diablo, the ring announcer, and he goes, and you were fired, so you weren't there. And then Ace Steel immediately jumps in. And he goes, they should fire him again. He sucks. <laughs> like, just just great, man. Uh, they're, they're, it's great if you, like, enjoy it's It's a carnival act, and you're going there to – you appreciate the hills because they're funny, but you got to boo them, right? So you yelled at them, and you suck. And I told Ace Steel that his name sounds like every default character ever. Uh, he didn't appreciate that one. That was fun. <laughs> that <laughs> right? is a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was, it was real fun, man. It was good stuff. Uh, it's a good time. Uh, Dak Draper took on Jeremy White in a best two out of three falls match, uh, which was really amazing. And Swim Trunk called it. Called the winner of it. He was like, the guy in the pink's going to win. And I was like, why do you say that? And he was like, eh. Feels like an underdog to me. And I was like, boy, don't tell him that. <laughs> I was like, don't tell Jeremy White that. He'll give you something to what for. And I was like, maybe you should tell him that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he called that, and, and that's who won the match uh, out of the best two out of three, of course. Um, really great match. Dak Draper, super over as a face in this one, the good guy. Um, crowd was really into the shame on you chant that he does. Uh, yeah. It was, it was really good. Real fun. Real fun show. We enjoyed that. And then uh, yesterday, I got to pick up my wife from the airport, Tom. She came back. Hey! 
She came back. She, she came didn't completely back. leave you. She did not. You see the smile on my face now. I'm not like, you know, I, I've shaved. I've, 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah, the yeah, glow you, is back upon me. Um, yep, she came back and immediately went to sleep. No, I'm just kidding. No. As she should. Yeah. <laughs> no. uh, we actually did go to Swim Trunks' uh, fifth grade graduation. Like, right off the plane, she comes home, gets to shower, and we go to this graduation. And she's trying – you know how they do these yeah, – well, they call it a promotion, right? It's not a graduation, right, because they realize you're not really graduating. It's fifth grade. But fifth grade's the end of middle school here. So we're moving on. Or uh, elementary you school. start of middle school. Right. Yeah. In, end of elementary school, moving on to middle school. So uh, they're doing the whole long, drawn-out speeches from each of the teachers – and my wife's like, dude, I don't want to look disrespectful, but oh, I can't. She had just traveled like 10 hours on a flight, you know what I mean, from Hawaii where she'd been 12 days. She was just like, I just, I need them to just hurry up. And they were translating uh, to Spanish because there's a heavy Mexican population in the school, which is amazing, but it just made it twice as long for her, you know? Oh, yeah. So mm-hmm. she was just like, oh, man. She was like, why couldn't they just translate the whole speech? Like, why do they got to stop every paragraph? <laughs> like, she's just like, God, <laughs> like, just killing it but of course i mean she's also trying to be like you know like this is fun for swim trunk and everything but man yeah so uh she's back everybody's happy the dogs are are happy again they're no longer in the in the in the doldrums uh, as it were and uh, that was in basically the dog house yeah in the dog house um and that's where we're at man now we're here to podcast tim and tom I took my first trip of many because it was that good uh, to Washington, D.C., went to Washington, D.C. Now, I tried to do everything, right, because there is a nine million things to do in Washington, D.C., and we didn't get to do all of them, but we tried to do all of the ones that we for sure like wanted to get in this trip. So I'll kind of touch on some things and then I'll dig deeper into like the really impactful things, at least for me. So we visited the library of Congress, which FYI, that's the world's largest library. Didn't realize that got, got to see the Gutenberg Bible, which is important for uh, printing and the mass, you know, spread of books. Uh, Then we went to the Smithsonian American art museum, which was amazing because they had the national portrait gallery. So I got to see portraits of the newest one of Barack Obama and Michelle Obama got to see the portraits of every president before that. So Bill Clinton, Harry Truman, other artwork there that was amazing of like the everyday worker. They had a champions gallery, which featured uh, like Mickey Mantle and Arnold Palmer, Muhammad Ali and Joe Lewis. I got to see a real Oscar. So amazing artwork. And then that night we went to a tour at night, uh, like a night it wasn't a bus. It was like an electric car, which was weird, sure. but seated six. But it was a tour at night of the museum, of the nice. monuments. And so uh, we saw the state capitol. We saw the uh, Washington Monument. We saw the Lincoln Memorial. I got to stand in the same spot that Martin Luther King stood for his I Have a Dream speech, which they have uh, written down on a piece of marble. Side note, here's the thing. Washington, D.C., everything is marble. Everything yeah, is everything. marble. Everything, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sidewalks. Uh, when you go to the bathroom, they're dividers. Like here in Kansas City, as you guys know, it's plastic, right? Just mm-hmm. plastic stuff. Nope. In D.C., six-foot marble right. in between every stall. It was like you have so much marble here. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you know how much we could uh, knock off the national debt if we just sold this marble? <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> just in your so city? Replace these with standard toilet partitions here and let's move on. <laughs> 
Right. Yeah, it was incredible. So I uh, got to see the Lincoln Memorial, which was great. Got to see the uh, Vietnam Memorial. Uh, went at night to see the White House. The White House was a big thing for me. Unfortunately, like I mentioned uh, before this episode uh, last week, we didn't get to take a tour because when we put in for the tour, they said they were already booked. So still, that's one thing that we're definitely going to do. But nevertheless, we saw that, right? Mm-hmm. Next day, we got to go and sit in on an actual session of congress they were debating endangered species they were uh debating whether at at the federal level at the federal level if cockfighting should be illegal which that's still crazy it was highly depressing the whole thing because one it was just so sad because no one's there it's like eight people and two of them were just talking and then three of them are on their phones the rest of the time and the other ones are debating and they take a vote and no one cares it's, it was so depressing. Yeah, the none, of them are even, thing, none of them are even listening yeah. to each other for F sake. Yeah, we're going to get more into stuff like that uh, throughout this show. Let me warn you now, Tom. But yeah, that's that's yeah. I imagine that is very depressing because that's just like yeah. You want to shake them and go, "Hey, man!" Well, here's the thing. So I wanted to yell. Like I was like when they were talking about the endangered species. That one was a little bit more engaged than the cockfighting sure. one. Uh, but still, I wanted to be like, hey, this is wrong. But if you yell from the gallery, you will be arrested, mm-hmm. which that felt like eh, I feel like that's kind of a, a jerk move because this is about government and that affects me. Yeah, I, I can see like while well, they're doing their active process, but it's nice that you get to sit there and watch because you should be able to go back later and be like, hey, man, I right. saw you playing words with friends. That's a dated reference, but you get the idea. Right. Then we got to see a congressional dog. There was a little Dotson running around with some guy in the halls of Congress, which was so cute. We loved that. I didn't take a picture because I was just like, this is the best. Then, so we got we got to do that. State Capitol. Uh, got to see a session of Congress, which was amazing. Then one of the first big, okay, so the White House at night was like the first, like, oh, my God, this yeah. is awesome. And same with Lincoln Memorial and standing in in the spot that Martin Luther King stood for his I Have a Dream speech, all of those impactful. But then we got to sit in and listen to a lecture, not by one of the judges, but by by a guy representing the Supreme Court. But we got to sit in on a lecture about the Supreme Court. Like you couldn't take a photo in there. I snuck one in. Ha ha ha. But you're not supposed to take a photo. And you got to sit there and it just it just blows my mind. Like it was so crazy. You know, they're listening now. And you know yeah, you good. just told them, and yeah, they're just going to shut down the whole show. We, you may not hear this episode, folks. Yeah, yeah, you might not, but I'm going to keep going. Um, it was so crazy because, like, you just – there's the magnitude of where you're sitting, right? So, like, Brown versus the Board of Education, Roe v. Wade. Uh, the, and then you can grab any opinion that they've published. You can go downstairs, grab any opinion that they published. So I grabbed the newest one, which was what we talked about last week about sports betting and how now that was viewed as unconstitutional. And the you get ban to read, on it. Yeah, the ban on it was unconstitutional. And so now basically sports betting, a slow process, but eventually it will become legal in all 50 states. You know, that's eventually going to be the goal. Right. Anyhow, but what was crazy is. Uh, you got to read the the majority opinion. Like the chief justice can either write it himself or he can assign the judge to write the majority opinion. And then right. the minority opinion can say like, even though we're going with this, I disagree. And Ruth Bader Ginsburg wrote the minority opinion. I haven't got to that part yet, but so I got the uh, Supreme Court. Surprise! The paper. old person was against it. 
Well, surprise, the Republicans were for it and the Democrats were against it as far as Supreme Court judges and where they lean. Anyhow, so that was really cool. Um, then we went into uh, some other really cool museums. But then here's the big one. This is the one that like blew my socks off. It's called the Newseum, like N-E-W-S, yeah. Newseum. Yeah, it's museum, but news, right? Going into this, I thought like, Okay, it's kind of be kind of pat your well. I thought it was going to be like pat yourself on the back, see how news persevered and told you the truth, right? Right, right. Not even close. Oh my god! So you first walk in, the first thing you see is the actual Berlin Wall Jeez. in the museum. So like, I wow. stood next to it. You can touch it. You can go into like the towers that the Germans, you know, or the yeah that the. The, the soldiers were right. watching, uh, you know, kill people. It was, it was incredible. Germans on both sides, right? <laughs> right, yeah, but you know what I'm saying. Like, yeah. but I, I wanted to clarify it was soldiers. It wasn't just civilians jumping up in there. Sure, um, right, right, right. Wasn't Dare Tom up there, right? Right, exactly. Tomas, and right? So that's what you first see, right? Is the Berlin Wall, and you're like, this is incredible. Like, I'm touching the Berlin Wall. Like, yeah, oh, it was insane. Then the next thing you see on the second – it's six floors, by the way. Uh, that's the first floor. The second floor is like a mini museum of the FBI and some of the most landmark events in FBI history. So this covered obviously 9-11. It had uh, the garb of a reporter who uh, interviewed Osama bin Laden like in 1997, 98. Like there's an infamous – Osama bin Laden uh, interview, and it's always referenced when they show his face on TV. And they showed that. Then they showed like the Unabomber's home. They uprooted the Unabomber's home and put yeah. it into this wow. museum. Yeah, uh, you got to see um, Whitey Bulger's hat. You got to see uh, the Beltway Snipers um, uh, uh, gun and like the setup for it. You got to see uh, one of the first cars that tried to bomb um, the World Trade Center. Okay. Like they, yeah, it, yeah, it was an uh, attack that they stopped prematurely from right. execution, but they had that there. They had the Boston bombing uh, shorts, the guy, the Boston bombers, uh, yeah. the shorts he was wearing. It was just incredible. It was just mind-boggling. It was amazing. Then you can go up and you can like new, the museum has this like 360 view of DC. So you can see the Capitol and nice. see Lincoln Memorial and see the Jeffrey Thomas Jefferson Memorial. That was incredible. And then you get into the photos and they had every photo of the year winner going back to 19, I think 60, like the first photo of the year. And I can't remember the organization off the top of my head, but the first one is Martin Luther King getting arrested in a diner. Like that's the first photo. Yeah. And then just had such breathtaking photos. Oh, my God. I can't. It was amazing. It's just all different types of things. Then you go into more of the news, right? They had O.J. Simpson's suit that he wore when the verdict was announced for um, his uh, murder trial in oh, there. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. And then they had a 9-11. And that was featured everything. It had, like, a daily show microphone talking about, like, that satirical news and the rise of that and all that. Then they had newspapers from across the world covering big events from each year. Then the next floor, they had the – or the uh, – on top of the World Trade Center, the, the uh, 
antennas. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. 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 One of the communication towers, essentially. Right, but the uh, from the 9/11 World Trade Center, they had one of the antennas, like just you know, in its mangled state. Yeah, right, right, right. That's cool. They showed a newspaper from every country that covered 9-11 and then it shared this reporter or this photographer's uh, account where he died running, going towards the World Trade Centers to take photos of the events. He died in it. That was really touching. And then they had a big, huge memorial of reporters and photographers and camera people who have died in the line of war. They had this huge map that showed like where press is free, where press is limited, where press is banned. That was moving. Uh, they had a first dogs, the uh, America's pets or American presidents and their pets. They had like from George Washington to president Obama. Fun fact, Trump is the only president not to have an official pet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. but it was called first dogs. It featured all the dogs that presidents have had. That was cool. Oh, my God. And then we saw uh, the White House, and the White House in the day was just amazing. Got to see a protest. Got to see some of the coolest things. Just one of the coolest things for me was, you know, I love history, right? And I love American history, and I love, like, the magnitude of where I'm standing. And, oh, my God, this is the White House where Abe Lincoln made so many important decisions. Thomas Jefferson, Barack Obama, Jimmy Carter, you know, both Bushes, all of these, you know, Amazing men, either good or bad, but amazing men, right? And then to the left of me are like street dancers, like just dancing for money, like beatboxing and just like getting down. And I'm like, look at the contrast. Like, did you ever think Jefferson would (laughs) would have beatboxers? And then there was protesters and it was just amazing. Then we capped off we capped off that night with a very moving uh, event. We went to the Arlington Cemetery. We got there right in time for the changing of the guard of the unknown soldier. Oh, wow. Okay. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And Emily was more uh, educated on this than I was. Apparently it is um, guarded 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. And these guys cannot drink. They cannot I mean, they're basically monks in the military. It's incredible. And they yeah. we got to see this just amazing, you know, one man leaves and another man takes over, yeah. you know, that changing of the guard, which I already mentioned. That was really impressive. Mm-hmm. Whew, right? So then our last day, uh, we saw the Thomas Jefferson Memorial. That was really cool. We went to the Ford's Theater, and yeah. I got to stand next to where Lincoln was shot. Wow. They did an amazing job of telling the story of the last day of uh, Booth and Lincoln and like the timeline and how I didn't realize this. Maybe you guys did, but I didn't realize uh, how much of a star Booth was like, because I was always like, well, why are you going to just let someone walk up on the president from what their account was? The the uh, speakers at the Ford's Theater, they were like, think as if George Clooney shooting Donald right, Trump. Right. But he was big of a star. So when he entered, people even noticed him before he shot right. uh Lincoln. And I was like, oh I just thought he was some just, you know, schlub yeah. actor. I knew he was like I didn't I, I didn't know he was like huge, huge, but I knew he was like known enough that that's why they had an accounting of his whereabouts for the evening. Because like everybody yeah. knew who he was, right? Right, exactly. And then just his tragic story of his last days where he was like looking at himself as like useless because he thought he was this martyr for the South and he would be looked at, you know, as like 
taking down of Julius Caesar. Instead, he was like known as a fool. And so he was all for not. That was fascinating. Then we went back to uh, the National uh, Art Museum, saw some more uh, presidential uh, photograph or excuse me, paintings, saw some more really cool uh, artwork that was in there. Got to have a beer at Capital City Brewing Company. Then I had my first ever lobster roll. Have you ever had a lobster roll? I have not because I don't like lobster. What are you, Canadian? I just don't like, I don't like much seafood, and I really don't like lobster because it just tastes like, like I'm eating a soft rubber that I dipped in butter. Mm, and it was so good. Yeah, I can bet it was. Oh, it was so good. Right. So, yeah, we packed in a lot. And I tell you what, I have to give all uh, kudos and praise to Emily because when I go on vacation, I am not there to rest. If you want to rest, stay at home. That's a staycation if you want to rest. I want to go experience life. And she kept up with me every step of the way. She battled through some migraines and everything else, and it was incredible on her end. Uh, we had uh, such a fantastic time. And the biggest thing that it, I took away from Washington, D.C., and I said it like six or seven times, but you cannot be a jerk living in Washington, D.C. Like, there's too much history to make you so appreciative of, like, the human effort to make progress and betterment for others that like, I was just like, you can't be a jerk living here. Like if you're ever like, Oh, I'm going to do this. Go, go listen to the words of Lincoln. Go listen to the words of Washington. You know what I mean? I, I, I think you're more accurately saying you should not be, uh, or you shouldn't find yourself in the condition of, because, there are yeah. plenty of them there. I guarantee. You. I know, but but you <laughs> yes. know what I mean. Like I do every, know what you mean, yes. like every day after every stop, you know, go get humbled and watch the changing mm. of the guard at the Arlington Cemetery. Mm. Go get humbled and listen to the speeches of Abraham Lincoln. Go get humbled oh, and listen God. to the to the to the fight and the passion of a Teddy Roosevelt, like. Good God, I just don't get how you could ever be like, you know, I don't know about this helping others thing. Like, I am a jaded, black hard SOB. And I was great and like more hugging and like sympathetic to the common person than I think I've ever been. It was yeah, I mean, you're so a good impact. person to maybe four or five people tops, but when you were in DC, that suddenly, you know, his heart grew three times that day. <laughs> Yeah. And I tell you what, yeah, because the train stations one morning uh, at the train station, as we started our day, there was a band that even had like a tuba. Um, they were playing Stand By Me. I was like, this is the best. And then like just people were like there were dads carrying children. It was raining the entire time. And you saw men holding umbrellas for women. It was just like, how can you be a jerk? Oh, oh I love well. to see. It yeah. was so good. Yeah, give me a week and I'll hate everyone soon enough. But right now, man, it is it was so incredible. It was so incredible. Well, that's good, man. I'm glad you got to go uh, and enjoy yourselves and and see some history. Oh, I didn't even tell you. I got to see the original documents 
of the Bill of Rights, the Constitution, and the Declaration of Independence. Like, I got to see all three. I was going to say I didn't really get to see the Declaration of Independence because the sad state of it, and it's no one's real fault, but, like, it's deteriorating. Like, they're trying to preserve it. You know, eventually paper, you know, evaporates. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, One note from there, perfect writing. Like, There was no like, you know, when you write and you kind of like lean your writing to like the bottom right if you're right handed or you know what I'm saying? No, it was perfectly across perfect curse writing uh, or cursive. And the paper was huge. It was massive. It was way bigger than I thought. I mean, this paper was like the size of a desk, you know, like a school desk. I thought it was like just going to be like. You know, notebook paper. No, I was completely wrong on that. So, yeah, I got to see that. And then the tour guide called me a nerd. Ah. A tour guide. Because he was like, so, what what are you here for? And one of the things also that we did is we ate lunch, which everyone said to do at the Native American Museum. Yeah. Uh, And I had chocolate smeared wild boar. So good. Um, Hey, listen. It was delicious. Listen, listen. Before you tell me, you know, more of the story, the tour guide was right, but I mean, he's a tour guide. Isn't that the pot calling the kettle black? Well, that's exactly what Emily said. (laughs) So she goes, so he goes, so like, what are you guys, you know, excited to see? And, uh, Emily was like, you know, Lincoln, obviously, which we were about to see and things like that. And I was like, I, cause I didn't know you could actually see the actual documents of the constitution bill of rights and, De- and declaration of independence. So I was like, you get to actually see that. I was like, that is what I'm excited for. And he's like, nerd alert. And I was like, did a tour guide call me a nerd? I'm going to talk about this on my podcast. Yeah. I was like a jerk. <laughs> um, he was a great guy. His name was Monty. Uh, it was, it was fantastic. Oh, man. This is fun. But, uh, that was a little bit like I'm really a nerd now, but here's the thing: why is because for me, I love to see the actual things, yeah, right? Of so, yeah. for me, one thing that we didn't do, well, we got to go p- past it, but it was raining like legitimately a heavy, uh, a heavy downpour three of the four days, like the entire time. So it was kind of difficult to get out if you really didn't want to get out. Right. So one thing that we saw, but didn't go up to and really like take in was a Martin Luther King uh, monument. And for me, that reason is because Martin Luther King, even though he made his incredible speech of, I have a dream at the Lincoln Memorial, he's not from Washington, DC. You get what I'm saying? So like, to me, I want to see, the constitution because the constitution was written in Washington, DC. You know what I mean? Like, I want to see the things that are native to that area. And I know that, yeah, Philadelphia is where it was written and all that, but (laughs) it was, it was brought to Washington. It's It's where it resides, but you want to see the actual too, because like, if I'm going to go to a museum and it's the constitution museum, right. And they have all these great exhibits about the constitution and the people and everything. Uh, that's all well and good, but if the actual Constitution is not there, it feels kind of like eh, hollow. Yeah, eh, this could have been anywhere, right? Like this could have been anything. Like I don't know. Yeah, feels yeah. hollow. Yeah, and I, 
Yeah, and I know that the Constitution wasn't written in D.C., but what I'm saying is it was written in Philadelphia, then it was brought down to Washington, D.C., and then it was enacted, and that's where it really took its place as far as an important document. Yes, I know. But Martin Luther King, going back to my example, isn't from Washington, D.C. I mean, he doesn't have roots really in that area other than meeting with, you know, LBJ and people of that nature. Right. But, like— you go to his hometown to get the Martin Luther King Jr. experience, in my opinion. So that's why we made sure to get the Washington, Lincoln, Jefferson memorials, because that, to me at least, is Washington, D.C. Well, yeah, so, well and, and to the, that thing is, yes, King went there and did a lot of great things in D.C., but everywhere he did something has some other significance also historical beyond right. just what he did there. And yeah, there will exactly. be more to do there. So, yes, the things he did there are definitely worth mentioning to even have their own museum yeah but that's not the reason you go to dc for at least i mean right. you know and now you know what i mean maybe different for some people but yeah i get what you're well, saying there for sure. and yeah maybe trip uh, the next trip around yeah i would definitely want to go take more time there but i want to definitely hit up the presidential history that is in washington dc it was incredible but the sleeper pick for me going in i didn't even really think it was going to be impressive but like i said after i just left dumbfounded in awe was the museum go to the museum yeah. do not speak highly of that place i will say this smithsonian all free news museum or museum not so mm. there is that little caveat so be but prepared. worth the money but Oh my God, worth the money. Just the the photography, the writing, the actual um, artifacts that they have, you know, of the Berlin Wall and the FBI and 9-11. It was just, I mean, I was on verge of tears three different times. It was, it was incredible. It was incredible. And then you can get lighthearted and check out like the first clip of the Today Show and how media has changed from uh, radio to TV to internet, you know, and then you can check out the dogs and all the fun pictures with LBJ and his dog or Bush and his dog and Obama's and all that. So, I mean, it was just incredible. So it's, I'm not saying it's all just like this heavy hearted, oh, like, Oh my yeah. God, think you can get lighthearted and stuff. Uh, but man, take that in. Cause it was well worth it. Loved it. Tim and Tom. Tom, I'm glad you brought up politics and cultural discussions and humility. Because I want to talk about the NFL's new rule that came out today. Did you hear about this? Yes, I did. And uh, I actually have a, a great question that I want them to answer. But I'll let you bring up oh, the story and then ask the question. So, okay. So the NFL has this here. I'm just going to read this off of ESPN, right? NFL owners have unanimously approved a new national anthem policy that requires players to stand if they are on the field during the performance, but gives them the option to remain in the locker room if they prefer it as it was announced today, Wednesday, May 23rd. The policy subjects teams to a fine if a player or any other team personnel do not show respect for the anthem. That includes any attempt to sit or kneel, as dozens of players have done during the past two seasons to protest racial inequality and police brutality. Remember that. Those teams also will have the option to fine any team personnel, including players, for the infraction. Quote, we want people to be respectful of the national anthem said Commissioner Roger Goodell. We want people to stand, that's all personnel, and make sure they treat this moment in a respectful fashion. That's something we think we owe. We were also very sensitive to give players choices. Goodell said the vote was unanimous among owners, although San Francisco 49ers owner Jed York said he abstained. York said that all owners 
that voted in the process supported the change. So, uh, okay. You got a question? Yeah. So apparently if you kneel, it's a fine to the team and then the team can find the player, right? Mm-hmm. Also, there is a penalty, a 15 yard penalty. If you kneel during the national anthem. So here's my question. If let's say the Broncos and chiefs play and one chiefs player kneels and another Broncos player kneels, are they offsetting penalties yeah, and right. you have to replay the national anthem? Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Uh, I mean, that's what you do in yeah. the NFL yeah. is if it's an offsetting penalty, you replay the play. Yeah. So are we going to replay the anthem? Yeah. This whole thing has just gotten so messed up that it just bugs me to no end because it's, I want to talk to angry white people. All right. I'm just going to say that it's very, very evident. Angry white people. Will you have some damn self-confidence at all, man? Will you have any humility about yourself and what you like? Knock it the hell off, man. These people did nothing wrong. And you know what? The whole argument about this, uh, because this is the only reason these owners did this, right? Is because of ratings, droppings, and people complaining, and they want it to go away, right? Many of them have been on public record of saying, obviously some of them are for, but many of them have been on there going like, I don't care about this, man. I don't let them do what they want, right? Like, what were you about to say? Well, what I think this is actually a move for isn't necessarily a reactive move about police brutality and things of that nature. I think, and then again, uh, we're sharing our political opinions here, but I think the owners recognize that we have an erratic president who at any time can offend NFL players. So yes, was Colin Kaepernick's, you know, initial kneeling of the national anthem about police brutality, a hundred percent, but let's not act that, you know, in week three of the NFL season, president Trump could say, you know, NFL players are sons of bitches again, or something of that nature. It now sparks a new protest and so now they're trying to get ahead of the next one yeah and that's very clear too because of the you know secret audio recordings that came out that explained why colin kaepernick hasn't gotten a job even though everybody knew uh Mm -hmm. why he hadn't got a job right and this is what i want to get at right the whole everybody actually knowing what the hell is going on right that's what i want to get at because this is where i continue to get pissed i've tried to let go of political anger right i've really Mm -hmm. tried Okay, Mm -hmm. Um, and the problem here in something like this that bothers me is twofold. One, this shouldn't be politics. We've allowed them, you and I, listeners, if you do not agree with me, if you hate Colin Kaepernick for kneeling because you think it's disrespectful to the flag and and the people who served it and everything, right? You and I have both allowed people to politicize what is a cultural interaction discussion. A national cultural interaction discussion is all that this is. They have repeatedly said over decades, centuries, that black people, that they are being unfairly treated by the police and they keep showing evidence and they do it in the most peaceful of damn manners that they can. And they've Mm -hmm. said that, and that is exactly what Colin Kaepernick immediately said he did this for, and what all the rest of them have said they did it for 
otherwise. This whole disrespecting the flag thing and and the the military, knock it the hell off because you know that's not what they did. You know they didn't go screw the military and screw America. I'm kneeling down to piss them off. So get over your damn self. I'm so angry about this. You guys bitched and whined and threw a fit over something, over a false narrative that you know is false, but it's easier to grandstand on some soapbox about something that sounds like it's inarguable, but I'm going to argue it still. Man, Tom, I've been in the military. Look, I got my dog tags. Tom's the only one who can see this. I got coins, right? Goddamn, I've got medals, man. I've got awards, man. I've got all kinds of just stuff, military stuff, right? I don't care, man. That you forcing somebody to stand and show respect for something, if you think that's in any way what American was supposed to be, you're flat out wrong. You are flat out wrong because it Mm -hmm. is, in fact, the exact opposite. And furthermore, to piss me off even more, is that you know that. It's that you know that. You know it. Well, everyone knows that. No, No, they do know it. They know that America is supposed to be about saying whatever the hell you want to say, regardless of what the people think about it. They all know that. But what they can't stomach is that somebody else says something different than them. And they want to act like it's somehow uh, impure because it's not like a way that they thought it was supposed to be. And I'm done ever mentioning or placating to this whole, well, it's disrespectful. Like, really? What about seemingly more than half the veterans who say they don't give a crap about it? Right? It's oh, false well, we narrative. We want to talk about a flag, yeah. And that's, that's just it. If you want to talk about a flag, you can. Oh, we, we can, can go further into it. it. Yeah, we can go yeah. further into it. We are talking about a cloth and a song, morons. A cloth and a song. A cloth yeah. and a song. And you're getting so upset about it. You are letting what other talking. people do to the cloth and the song upset you. And you are the ones that continually call them snowflakes knock it off they are human beings who are right about that they are being treated unfairly and all you are doing is proving them more right by trying to hide the problem make it go away and tell them it's okay you can just sit in there while the rest of us uh do what's allowed in public you guys are un-american sorry go ahead No, that was great. I I was just just gonna say about one thing that I always find interesting or or funny is that all of these people who want to say you're disrespecting the flag while you're uh, kneeling are also the ones that have American flag thongs, where literally the American flag is in your butt crack. Yeah, and and I tell you what. Uh, all of you that are they're saying this, let's line them all up, Tom. Give them a microphone, start playing the music, and tell them to sing the damn song. Because I bet you don't know the words. You yeah. unhumble bastards! You suck! Yeah. I, you're not American <laughs> if that's the way you know. And then they give them that too. This whole like American man, you are a human being. That person is a human being, and you are getting upset over what they're doing to a cloth and a song. Get mm-hmm. over yourself. Sorry. Yeah. You set your dog. I like it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So, Josephine the Wonder Dog disagrees with you. She's patriotic too. Because remember, one thing that I like is that 
Jason Kander actually said it, and I'm not the biggest Jason Kander fan, but sure. I like him a little bit. You know, but he said patriot patriotism isn't about making everyone stand and salute the flag. Patriotism is about making this a country where everyone wants to. Well, yeah. So remember, that's the point of when you kneel is that we're trying to work for a better America. Tim and Tom. Let's uh let's move on to a little bit lighter note, and I kind of want your opinion on this. Now, I don't have the story pulled up, but essentially some business news happened that affects us more me than you, but definitely affects you. So I don't know if you saw this, but Fox has signed a one billion dollar deal to acquire SmackDown, WWE SmackDown. And then in a counter move, because currently Fox's flagship uh, live entertainment programming, other than NASCAR and the NFL, is the UFC. Mm. And UFC and WWE have a you know uh, a good cross pollination of the same fans. You're not one of them. I am one of them. And so what Fox did, or excuse me, what UFC did, is sign a 1.5 billion dollar deal to go and have the exclusive rights. Uh, given to ESPN, UFC will still continue to do their pay-per-view, uh, monthly pay-per-views with the you know Conor McGregor something. But they're going to air fights oh, on wow. ESPN. They're going to air fights on ESPN Plus, which is their five dollar a month uh, streaming service. They're also going to have a new ESPN MMA show that has Ariel Hawani, who's leaving MMA fighting. He's the you know the flagship uh, Howard Cosell of yeah. MMA journalism. Uh, with Chael Sonnen, he's going to be doing a podcast for ESPN. They're going to be doing pre and post game or post fight for ESPN on UFC events. So essentially WWE is moving one product, not their a show, the B show. And that's, you know, they'll tell you that as well, but they're moving that to Fox. And now UFC is taking their ball and going over to ESPN. So essentially in 2019, uh, both of these deals go into effect. You can see Fox sports one having, WWE SmackDown, WWE, you know, live events on Fox Sports 1 and Fox Sports 2 and all that stuff. And then meanwhile, on ESPN, you have UFC, you know, 24-7. So how do you think that will change essentially both brands and both networks? Uh, I think UFC is going to benefit great from that, man, because ESPN just has a built-in natural audience. Some people just watch well, only ESPN. Yeah, it's just on. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> so now whether or not those people will take to it uh, you know i don't know i'm sure there's some that's already a crossover in that regard um right. uh wwe is gonna be different man because that whole friday thing never really was the greatest when it was on friday it was smackdown before now i don't know if they're still gonna do live did you see any of that uh mentioning uh, um i haven't sure. seen that but they did mention that they are going to friday nights which yeah i agree with you isn't the best uh like if you're a young guy and that's the demo for Fox sports or Fox, cause they actually didn't clarify if it was going to be on like big Fox, you know, network channel or Fox sports one, I'm kind of going with the assumption that Fox sports one will get SmackDown because UFC is now left and Fox sports one is really 24 seven as far as live content, NASCAR and UFC. Like that's, it's either skip right. Bayless NASCAR or UFC on one yeah, of those. They need something you know, and they're things. trying to compete so, with ESPN. So yeah, maybe so. It's just, I find that interesting because now 
you know, you had the attempt of the Skip Bayless dinosaur talking about MMA, where he talked about Nate Diaz having sumo skills, which is absolutely absurd and stupid. The dumbest thing I've ever heard because he doesn't know he's talking of he's talking out of his ass. But uh, now you're going to have like. Uh, I don't know what their show is called, like up first or first take, or yeah. I don't know what it's called, but that followed by presumably WWE, right? So you're going to be yeah. like LeBron James. Could he beat Michael Jordan one-on-one? Well, we'll talk about that next time. Now Roman reigns. And I, it's like, those two things don't mix. I'm a little surprised that ESPN went all in on this with that money because they just recently were, were, were taking in water hugely having to fire people left and right mm-hmm. because they were losing money on on bad deals like i don't know man. well that's another interesting thing so espn can make or break a sport and if you don't believe me look at the nhl right when nhl had their rights on espn uh it was talked about in the same breath as the nba finals the yeah. major league baseball you know world series now it's off espn and they'll mention how like for example the las vegas knights and in their uh first inaugural season are going to the stanley cup that's an outlier right because other than that it's just like ovechkin uh crosby yeah i think they're around but right. lebron you know they go right to lebron so they can make or break a sport they open every show going lebron Anyway, uh, right. <laughs> yeah, and then before that, it was Tebow, yeah. and then LeBron. Yeah. Anyhow, so I'm going to find interesting is they have a lot of dinosaurs at ESPN, oh, right? Uh, and a lot of gas bags uh, that know nothing about this sport. Stephen A. Smith. Or any, is really. A- Right, but at least they can fake the football, the basketball. They all can talk about golf. Um so at least they, they can do smoke and mirrors with those sports because one, they either grew up watching it or two, they enjoy doing it like golf. Well, right. They probably so have they some writers who at least know, but you know what I mean? This, this sport is, you can quickly tell somebody who actually follows MMA and somebody who does. Yeah. Very yeah. Quickly, and right. this, this is where it's going to be interesting. They do have Max Kellerman who is a boxing analyst first, but he does respect MMA and he can definitely give his insight. Like I mentioned, they did sign Ariel Hwani. They did sign Chael Sonnen. Chael Sonnen's a little bit of a gas bag too. I can see him and Stephen A just going back and forth for ratings because it's stupid. However, I just wonder how many, because like you said, ESPN did do a ton of firing and I uh, think the reason they spent some programming to like, they were just flooding yeah. money. Yeah. But the two biggest live entertainment spectacles in sports and entertainment is the WWE and UFC. Right. So I understand why they would pay that much money for the UFC, because one thing you typically don't, uh, DVR and then fast forward through live entertainment. Like, I mean, you, you could make the exception, but if there's a fight, it's a must viewed fight, right? Like you right. set aside time to watch that fight. It's not a TV show where you can just binge watch it on a Saturday morning, for example. Right. So I just, I'm curious with that move and all of those dinosaurs, if some of these dinosaurs are going to get fired, right? So their new flagship morning show is Michelle Beadle, Jalen Rose, and Mike Greenberg. Mike Greenberg, I can tell you 1 million percent doesn't know, uh, arm bar from a straight punch. He couldn't tell you the difference. So he might be gone. Jalen Rose can't make four coherent sentences without talking about LeBron. 
he's gone. And then Michelle Beadle, she can fake it, and I think she respects the sport, so she might stick around. But I'm just saying, those people could be on the chopping block if $1.5 billion goes into the UFC and you know, $100,000 or whatever they make goes into Mike Greenberg. So I'm interested in that whole change in culture because, like I said, when hockey was on uh, ESPN, all of a sudden you saw Steve Levy and uh, the Wayne Gretzky's of the world appearing a lot more on their programming, and now you don't see them at all. So now you can see some Chuck Liddell's and Tito Ortiz's on Stephen Ace's show, and we'll see how that works. Maybe. We'll see, man. Tim and Tom. We are. We don't have a guest this week because we're going to play you several guests. We like to do this uh, very occasionally. Play you some great snips from previous episodes that maybe you haven't listened back because you know, it's hard to do that with podcasts anymore. You know, we kick them out every week. Uh, our first segments are typically um, time sensitive, so maybe you don't go back and listen. But maybe we can pique your interest with some of these great answers, uh, questions, and answers. Uh, from previous interviews. So we're going to be doing that in the next segment. Fun fact, scientific studies show that talking to yourself can make you smarter. Give me credit, don't deny me. This is not a hobby. Rep the town of people stand behind me. Killer City got me. Boy, the posse quick to catch a body. If you try to stop me, put in word to show for me to be a legend. Let it drive me. Wasn't thinking about this back when I was chubby, young and snotty in the ghetto with my sister playing on the Tamagotchi. Eventually, you'll probably find me off the coast of Abu Dhabi. Elevator in the lobby. Colombiana beside me going up. They want to shoot me down. down. Oh, we think he better than us. They going to shoot me down. down. Said he's so fly. They going to shoot me down. down. They'll be posted outside just to shoot me down. Don't say nothing to police for they shoot me down. down. They'll be marching in the streets if they shoot me down. down. Tell me, listen, don't speak or they shoot me down. down. What these people don't see, you can't shoot me down. I'm bulletproof. Tim and Tom. We've got Tanner Masters of Atomic Fizz. Mm-hmm. on the show man uh the soda kings of kansas city here i'm just gonna call it now i like that term. yeah yeah they can take that they I can mean, take it just yeah. just give us a little tnt uh like trademark logo mm-hmm. right on the bottom but yeah, yeah soda kings of kansas city what would a tim and tom soda taste like oh i would probably say it's probably bitter a, no <laughs> i would probably say it has a great great refreshing uh start and then very disappointing and tarty at the end. Yeah, just bitter and tart at the end, almost yeah. gloomy. If something could taste gloomy, <laughs> but right. initially it's hitting a home run. With oh me, yeah, right. So it's like this is so good. Yeah, this is great. And then, mm. Yeah, it's probably the type of soda pop that uh, gives you a stomach ache. Yeah, I was just gonna say your stomach would probably hurt at the end of it. But hey, but you know, but the packaging not a, looks yeah. amazing. Right. Well. Maybe. How would you describe that flavor? Like, it, it, for for the people that are listening that haven't had this original flavor, what what's it like? Is it comparable to another drink? So the interesting thing about our unique flavor is that every single person who tries it says that they taste something different. So we, I've had a friend who says it tastes like can- cotton candy. We've had someone who said it tastes like cherry coke. Uh, anything across the board that you can think of i think it tastes like skittles um but a lot of people i'm they sold kinda, they look a... at the color and then they try it and they kind of think it it tastes like a citrusy cream soda although personally i don't taste any sort of cream in it at all you know i tell you i i i'm sold on if it tastes like any 
and or all of these things. Uh, this sounds great. <laughs> yeah. So, so, okay, so how many just horrific things did you try during this taste testing pro? Like, were, was there a time where you're like, all right, that's it. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm going home. This was a stupid idea. I'm not taking another drink. Yeah, so probably the most horrible and memorable thing that we tried had to have been a mint soda, and it was just straight mint. We put, uh, I think Mark said he just had a drop of mint extract and carbonated water, and he tried it, and he was gagging. And, I mean, it <laughs> yeah. was just, it was so strong, and it tasted like you had just brushed your teeth. It was, it burned going down, and we we almost quit after that point because <laughs> we almost threw up. So a breakfast soda. You guys were trying to make a breakfast soda. Right. Yeah. No, I... I'm looking at your website here too right now, and I'm, I'm reading the page about that you call our story. And I like your mission here. I want to read it out here. It says, to redefine America's greatest beverages, to act with integrity and honesty at all times, and to run a financially stable and profitable company while promoting business practices that respect the environment. I mean, that's making a, a statement there. How did you guys come to that? Originally, we had glass bottles because that was the simplest way for us to begin bottling. But right. we started. I started doing a research project at school at the time about sustainable packaging. And glass bottles are two times more likely to be recycled. They can be recycled an unlimited amount of times. And so we kind of sat down for a minute and we're like, if we had the option to move to plastic, would we ever do that? And we decided no, because plastic is so harmful to our environment and mm. something that we're, we're very passionate about is protecting our environment. And so with our business, that's something we want to project as well to kind of help that effort into protecting and creating a clean environment across the globe. You guys have mentioned, or excuse me, I should say, you have mentioned that you guys are, are doing class projects and stuff like that. Are you guys still in school and trying to run this business on top of that? Are you guys like dual responsible in this, in, in that sense? Me, Mark, and Sam, and again, Sam's the vice president, Mark's the director of marketing. We're all still in school right now. We're full-time students. We've got part-time jobs and we're out there running this business. So we're, we're pretty busy as it, as it just so happens to turn out. Tim and Tom. We'll talk about that later in the show. We're also going to talk to Anthony Sharkbait Gutierrez. This guy, a professional MMA fighter, mixed martial artist uh, of the highest caliber, been on the Ultimate Fighter. Uh, you've seen him around local, around here, uh, across nationally, beating people's heads in inside the cage. You've seen him also in a professional wrestling ring, especially if you watch 38 The Spot in the National Wrestling League. Uh, he's, if anybody knows anything about these two activities, mixed martial arts and professional wrestling, they're two of the most grueling things you can put a human body through and this guy does both of them so stay tuned at for the that. same time at the same time even at the yeah. same damn time so how long you been fighting overall Sharkbait? uh i've been fighting since nam since uh, nam huh that's a real long man that's storied career then obviously yeah uh, i've been fighting since how long team act 2009 i mean i've been street fighting since i was like <laughs> Uh, in sixth grade, but uh, my first MMA fight was in 2009 in high school. And, and that's an interesting story because I obviously know about it, but tell us a little bit about your first amateur fight and kind of the, the freak spectacle that happened during that. Yeah, it was a fight down in Springfield, Missouri at the Shrine Mosque. 
And uh, uh, me and the kid, we, uh, as soon as the bell rang, we went out and threw kicks at each other at the same time, and our shins collided, and uh, his shin snapped in half. It was pretty disgusting, and I've never really experienced anything like that as uh, in a fight before as, uh, as crazy as that. And that was my first fight ever, and now here we're on fight number 34. Last weekend, you were in a tag team match at the Scottish Rite Temple uh, in a pro wrestling match. And now this Saturday, you're going to be in a cage fighting another guy in a mixed martial arts fight. What is that like? And, and tell us about that whole – how do you juggle both things? How do you pro wrestle and get as good as you are at that? Because every time we've seen you, you're getting better each time and then still maintain this high level of MMA fight uh, skill that you have. You know, it's really like all it's all I'm doing. You know, so I, I think there's enough time to do two things. Uh, if I had to work a job, uh, I don't think I could do both uh, well. Uh, but really, there's enough time to do both. Um, you know, the MMA, the pro wrestling, which there, of course, you can train your pro wrestling, and there, I'm, I'm not like. And I pro- actually I should be training more, to be honest. But uh, the pro wrestling, I don't really train. I just get in there and, uh, I mean, I haven't trained pro wrestling in months. I'm just uh, getting getting my experience in the ring with uh, with working six to, six to eight shows a month. You get a lot of experience. And so throughout the week, I've just been training, you know, every day for MMA. And then just on the weekends, uh, on the weekend, uh, getting ready for you know, just going and wrestling. So I was getting better in the ring doing that. Well, with the pro wrestling aspect, that being some storytelling and you need to interact with the live audience that you almost have to learn more on the job as it were, uh, in that skill set. but seems like that would be a disastrous decision in the MMA world. Definitely your, uh, your odds go up with, uh, getting prepared in MMA and probably same with pro wrestling, but yeah, pro wrestling, you feeding off the crowd. There is a lot of stuff you can improve on, like your move set and like timing drills and things like that for pro wrestling. But yeah, the biggest thing is like reacting to the audience and working with them. So MMA is definitely something you have to dedicate more time to because you got to get your body ready because it's pretty difficult. Tim and Tom. Stick with us. We're going to talk to Joel the Bandit. If you haven't met Joel the Bandit, he's one of the most infectious personalities you're going to run into around Kansas City. Big on the local music scene. Local Tuesdays at Up Down. Uh, if there's something about a Kansas City local band, he knows it, and that's why we're going to talk to him. And he is a fantastic person. If he doesn't put a smile on your face, you're dead on the inside. And that is a fact. That's a true fact. I mean, you're a man about town. People know you from all over the place. You work at a, a record store. You also do some local music. Uh, what would I call it? Even hosting, emceeing? What, what, like, give people the quick and easy on what Joel the Bandit does. Oh, man, that's a, that's a great first question. A lot of people always ask me that. And right off the bat, yeah, I work at a uh, Brothers Music here in Mission, Kansas, and I've uh, been doing that for it's coming up two years now. And how it all started with the with the local music is going to uh, all these shows and just thinking like how can I get involved in some small way? How can I want to be able to do something? And it never quite lined up. But now um, I do think local tooth where you're, you're right. We basically yeah MC bands that come in. They love. Unfortunately, we can't have live music. 
so uh, what the, instead is we play their music over our uh, speakers over at Uptown, and they get unlimited tokens, free beer. Who doesn't love that? Right. And right. it gets uh, fans to people. I've gotten people coming up to me like, oh, who's this band playing over there? So we've gotten a great response from it. So, yeah, I just, I'm in love with local music, so it's, I've always wanted to do something with it, and now that I'm able to, it's just a dream, dream come true. So it, and that is a unique deal with instead of, and this came about because of, I, I, I'm assuming, municipal codes and, and laws where you couldn't have live music at the venue, but I almost kind of prefer it this way because, yeah, I mean, the music's cool and I like your music, but it, sometimes I almost prefer music not live. You know what I mean? It's it's a different experience. This is much more personal. You get to hang out, come up, say, hey, love your stuff, you know, get to take a picture, do whatever. It's, it, it seems a little more fun that way. No, exactly. And that's... That's the whole approach, and like since day one, is we've gotten the responses back from the bands that are like, we don't have to bring our equipment, we don't have to go in and out, in and out, setting everything up, and we could just play, relax, and play video games. Like absolutely, and uh, just getting getting their fan base out and coming out to meet them. And you're right, it's more relaxed, and they just have a blast with it, and it's been going great we just celebrated a year back in july and that just makes what times fly i'm just getting super busy getting bands booked and making sure we have a band every tuesday so it's, it's been a blast tim and tom we have kyle palmer of kcur coming up this guy as you will find out does a lot knows a lot is just an impressive person to talk to. Kyle, you are uh, the morning show, or you do the morning news for KCUR, and you also do the early bird. Uh, for people who aren't familiar with the early bird, can you kind of describe what that is? Uh, sure. Well, um, I appreciate uh, you having me on, and I appreciate the, uh, the compliments. I don't know how well informed I am, but I try to stay as informed as possible. <laughs> um so KCU, of course, is Kansas City Public Radio, um, and so in, in addition to my on-air duties, um, I am the kind of compiler and author of a weekly, well, daily, actually, uh, morning newsletter that we call The Early Bird, and we call it The Early Bird because it goes out at 6 a.m., so that means that I have to get up at about 3 to 3.30 um, every morning and start to... Uh, put it together, and it is our rundown of um, the biggest um, local news stories around the Kansas City metro, as well as um, a sprinkling in of big national stories that happened overnight or the previous day. Um, and so it's it's a mixture of national and local reporting that we feel, uh, at least the, the intent is to make sure that our, our listeners and our subscribers kind of can wake up, um, check their phone, or, or get on their their tablet and and peruse the news for five to ten minutes and be be prepared and set and go on about their day so we're kind of taught the whole time coming up is uh things like newspapers and you know mail like magazine letters and things like that are dying out but I see all over the place. As you mentioned, you're subscribing to a whole bunch of these email newsletters. So did it just change form and people are still consuming in this sort of uh, multi-topic 
news in this fashion because we were kind of told that's the dinosaur coming out, but it almost seems like that isn't the case now. Right. Um, I think you're talking about a couple of different things here, and they're both interesting, right? So I think the the idea that print, the legacy media, the newspapers, you know, locally here, the Kansas City Star, and you know, nationally, the New York Times and the Los Angeles Times and you know, there is this kind of assumption that they're fading away, that they're dying. And and um, revenue-wise, they are struggling, uh, for sure. You see cutbacks at places like the Star. Um, mm-hmm. But in terms of content, what those legacy media organizations are producing is still is still top-notch, um, even when their newsroom staffs are, are, um, are gutted and they're working on skeleton shifts and they're working with uh, personnel and resources that, you know, might be – um, a fraction of what they used to have 10, 20 years ago, they're still producing um, agenda-setting content, both locally and at the national level. Um, I look to the star so much uh, for, for the work that I, that I do at KCUR just to kind of see what they're reporting on. Because they have even, even a star that doesn't have as many people as it used to still has a lot of resources, and they have a lot of people in a lot of important places covering things. That's one aspect of it. The, the other, so, but, so long story short, I still feel like print media, um, now we call it, you know, it's digital media now because hardly anyone ever actually reads the real paper anymore. Um, those organizations are still producing great content. Um, the second half of what you were kind of talking about, the newsletter part of it, um, yeah, I think for a while there, people thought that it was just kind of a fad and it was going to kind of fade away, and people were getting tired of getting blasted in their inbox. And I said, and I, and I think that's still probably a legitimate fear that um, you know people will sign up for a newsletter and then they'll get tired of it. And there's also there's no um, right now there's no there's not a lot of revenue in that. Um, mm-hmm. KCUR we, we do sell the early bird, and we we do get advertisers every once in a while, um, but it's still not like a profit making arm of what we're doing. It's still kind of very experimental. But what it does speak to is that I think people want, um, and I'm sure you guys are familiar with this whole trend, is that people want, uh, they want to pick and choose and be able to decide and filter their own content. And, and newsletters and signing up and subscribing for newsletters is a way to do that. Now, it's still curated, right? So it's kind of a mixture of, of being on demand and being kind of more traditional in that you, you kind of pick what you want to subscribe to. But then you get curated content in your inbox from people that in organizations that you trust. And so that's what we hope with the early bird is, is like it's for our listeners and people who may not listen to KCUR on the air, but have found us through whatever means, and they trust us. And so they trust us enough to sign up for that newsletter and get it five days a week, which honestly is a pretty big commitment. It's funny to say that, but it's you know getting something in your inbox five times a week from the same group, and that's, that's a lot. So – um, they they trust us, and so we want to make sure that um, we curate it responsibly, but also in a way that's entertaining. Tim and Tom. Tom, I love coffee. I've got a fresh cup here of the Roasteries. Uh, it's a it's their latte. The Roastery is an amazing place, and there's a lot of story behind it. We're going to get into that a little bit. Yeah, definitely. And uh, as I'm joining you in my own coffee, I have a cafe au lait with almond milk, as I usually do. But Roastery has some fantastic coffee here. And we have Danny O'Neill, the founder. I don't know if you have an official title. I don't know. You just owner, founder, boss man, the bean baron, as it were. Yeah, Bean Baron is a, is kind of a we copied off early on, copied off of Ben and Jerry's. So everybody has really non-serious titles, right. and that's it's for, 
for fun, but it's also kind of symbolic too. We don't take ourselves very seriously. We take our product extremely seriously. We're kind of neurotic about the quality part, but but as far as ourselves and how many you know stupid mistakes that we make and all that kind of thing, we laugh at ourselves a lot. So. I think we're doing it the wrong way. I think we're taking ourselves too seriously in our product. We're just letting it just. So the first question I have for you is with coffee, you know, it's definitely a passion of a lot of people's kind of speak to us a little bit about what makes coffee your passion. Yeah. You know, and I, I feel, um, grateful and somewhat lucky and fortunate that I have a passion that strongly. Um, I talked to with a lot of people. There's probably, you know, every week there's six, eight, ten people that say, oh, I'd just love to, you know, pick your brain a little bit. And inevitably it comes down to the, I think, the human condition. What What's my purpose? What should I be doing? And most of us don't know, right? I mean, just, and I never did. I, I would be a, you know, I'd be a liar if I said, oh, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. So I feel, honestly, I feel super lucky and fortunate, and it's never lost on me about that. Sometimes I wish I could turn it off, but I, you can't. I cannot. I, I honest to God, as God is my witness, I dream about coffee every single night. And I don't think I've not dreamed about coffee since, uh, oh, man, at least since 1990, something like that. So, but it... You know, I picked coffee as a foreign exchange student when I lived in Costa Rica as a high school uh, student. And um, and that looked, felt just like working on the farms in Iowa. You know, growing up, I detasseled corn, walked beans, chopped thistles, fixed fence, bailed hay. Never thought twice about it. You know, we get, saved up enough money to buy motorcycles, played football, chased girls, the whole kind of the, you know, nothing, just kind of the quintessential Midwestern kind of a small town lifestyle. But um, but when I came back from Costa Rica a year later, I started at Iowa State. In the first finals I went through, I drank an entire pot of coffee with my old girlfriend. And I vividly remember that. And it was, you know, 40 years ago or 30-some years ago, whatever it was. Um, and um, I, remember fe- I remember the feeling. I couldn't study. I couldn't sit still. Couldn't sleep. But I loved it. And I have just drank an insane amount of coffee every day ever since, every single day since, and that was 1979. So in the early 80s, we started drinking whole bean coffee and, you know, call it specialty coffee. Still, I mean, that was, uh, people would make fun of me. My sisters would make fun of me because they you know, he's a coffee dork. There wasn't anything cool about it. Definitely not cool. It was, I was a dork. And then, you know, and then I went to work for an old, for a, uh, company and uh based in seattle and started you know buying really good coffee out there and then i really kind of got into it heavily and then it t- nobody said oh this is so cool you have a coffee passion it was still weird because it you know 1988 89 so but then i couldn't get loose of it i thought i would kind of you know it maybe turn into something else who knows you know i never ever thought i would get into coffee as a living and then then I could. Then I moved here in '91 and started at the Rockhurst uh, ex- with the Executive Fellows and got more and more into coffee and kind of just you know just thinking about it. And then I thought, well, maybe I'll do something with it. And my friends were like, yeah, pff, good luck with that. You know, make a living off of that. It was kind of like when undergrad, if you said I'm a history major, pff, yeah, good luck with that. Great. And it was searingly, mockingly cynical. Um, but that's that was kind of the impetus, you know, so I can't really take any credit for it. It was just I just feel but the great for the grace of God. I I have one. 
and I love, you know, speed and motorcycles and other things like that too. But, you know, first and foremost, it's, it's coffee. I was reading through your website earlier today, and you guys mentioned that you do things a little differently. You want the highest grade coffee that's out there. You roast it a little differently. Give us kind of a quick layman's on what sets you apart. Then. Yeah, good question. I, I always think, so what? <laughs> like, and even with you guys on your pod, podcast, if I didn't know any better, I, I kind of, and I'm not, you know, icky about it, but in my mind, I kind of say, so what? What difference you guys? What are you going to do differently? And why would I take time to listen to your podcast? Right? So with us, so what? You're local roaster who cares so what we try to do to differentiate ourselves and always have is buy the best coffee we could find in the world and people say that easily it rolls off the tongue but if you really dial back and look at what they do and how they do it there's there's a myriad of different ways of what we do we actually go we you know we've been going since 1979 we continue to just study and research and look and visit and we're just neurotically anal retentive when it comes to quality. I mean, like, uh, you wouldn't want to be around us if you didn't have that kind of passion for quality. Now, it can be a total slob in other aspects of my life, but not when it comes to that. And then secondly, so we really do endeavor to buy the best coffee we can find from each country that we're in. And we don't buy all of it, God knows. But I don't think there's anybody in the world buying better coffee than us. So secondly, we roasted the best way known to mankind. And, um, and that would just kind of spill off my lips easily for 22 years. And if there were a better roaster out there, we'd buy it. Well, guess what? We found a better roaster. And what happened was it was like this much better, like, like two points or 3% or 5%, but it was better. And we tested it against ours multiple times. So they actually produce slightly less volume. And we had to spend like $500,000 on these roasters, but we did. So we spent 500 grand. We actually lost capacity, but we know we're having the best roasters in the world. And then finally, get it to the customer as fast as humanly possible. Right now, if you, let's say, you're, you're, let's say you, you're drinking that latte. And you say, God almighty, what is that in there? And we say, oh, it's super Tuscan espresso. Da, 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 da. We explain what it is. God, can I, can I get some of that right now? Could you, you couldn't like roast it right now for me, could you? Yeah, we could. And, that, and we want you to be able to have that, that coffee as fresh as possible. Now, the equipment that we use is world-class, state-of-the-art. Nobody has better equipment or any better equipment. And I'm not saying we have the best in the world. But uh, we have as good as there is on the planet to, to package that coffee. We do, you know, we remove the atmosphere. We do a nitrous gas flush. It purges the residual oxygen and moisture, and then we seal it. And the industry would tell you, well, that's good for a year or good for a year and a half. But your common sense would tell you that can't be. It can't be as good. And I would say no. Every single day, it probably would take a month for the typical person to be able to, or two months maybe, but fresh is best. Right. That's it. You know, my mom was a scratch cooker, and we used to go on oh, for 10 kids. Right? I never had, uh, I, don't, I probably did, but we never bought bread until I was in college, right? She just, everything, everything scratch. We said, God, Mom, do we have to do that? Yes, you have to do it. It all makes a difference. And I'd say that's with us, too. It's not just that recipe, because I could tell you that right now, and I'd, in my smart like would be like, let me know how that works out for you. <laughs> because, you know, there's the timing and all that yeah. special sauce, and 
I just ate it with Michael Smith and uh, it totally good. He would give you any recipe he wants and then he'd say, let, let me know how that works out for you. Because right, exactly. it's all, and you can't become an expert on, any, on virtually anything. I can imagine people like saying, well, God, I have an iPhone. I'll get a microphone. I can do podcasts. Oh, yeah. Let me know how it works out. Right? right? Yeah. There is that that time that passion that dedication to the craft whatever the craft is and then you got it you know the infamous 10,000 hours I don't know if it's 10,000 hours but I know it's a pot full more than a couple of them right no matter what you're endeavoring to do so we still we'll have a couple of we have cupping this afternoon and there's I've never done a cupping session in, since we started. It's almost 25 years where we didn't learn something and go, oh, my God. We're learning something new every single day. And, uh, and that's what you, I think you got, whatever the case is, I think that sets us apart. And then I, the other aspect to your question, I, was just, I met a chef, and I said, you know what? He was talking, he was just in town, talking uh, about doing business with us. I said, you know what? If you have the time, just go over to our factory or go to any cafe and just chat somebody up and just see... I'd just love for you to have that experience and nobody knows you. I didn't know you until right now. Just see how it works out and then see if we're the kind of uh, company you want to do business with. I totally trust our team and how they, you know, how they put themselves out there and how they're going to take care of you. Because at the end of the day, you can really get coffee anywhere, even if you love it as much as I do you I mean there's there's a lot of things that make up your day if you're a parent if you're a citizen I mean think about it so it as, as important as it is to us there are the other pieces how we make you feel how you feel you know that's that's more that's most important sure. the product has got to live there too but you we could have the best coffee in the world and be you know snobby and ostentatious and smug and arrogant and make you never want to do business with us and that is that's the farthest from our culture that we'd ever want to be tim and tom tom the wife is back my wife uh not just somebody's wife wife. my (laughs) wife is back uh we need something to do this weekend man what do we got going on Oh my goodness! It is Memorial Day weekend weekend coming up. That's how excited I am. I can't even say it right. And we've got a ton of fun things. All right, this is what we're going to start off with. It's an event that I will actually be at. Mm. So come see me, and I might say hi. Yeah. May twenty. That's a guarantee. Tom might say hi. That is a guarantee. May twenty eighth yeah. at Loose Park, fifty two hundred Warnell Road, Kansas City, Missouri. Starting at 7 a.m., it's going the distance for brain injury, Hmm. 5, 8K, 1K, and 10K runs. Now, this is going to benefit the going the distance for brain injury uh, foundation. It used to be known as the Amy Thompson run. It's been um, renamed to uh, uh, account for more than just the specific injury that Amy Thompson had. So it includes all brain injuries, which I think is a good move. Um, Check-in is is at 7 o'clock. I'm going to be running the 5K portion. Loose Park is amazing. It's beautiful. All the houses look like castles. There's one house on this run, because I ran it last year, there's one house on this run where the backyard is a baseball field that has legit sponsors, like High Boy and like a 
car automotive fixer up place are on the the uh the back of this baseball diamond in someone's backyard and then these rich people they rent out like food trucks for the event they're all drinking their coffee cheering you on you feel safe it's so smooth because all the roads are nice because the they pay their taxes there it is just perfect perfect way to start off your memorial day it's going the distance for brain injury and again it goes from one five eight ten k you can choose whatever you want and have a good time and support a great cause. So there you go. May right. 28th. Good choice. All right. I like that. Next, it's going to be a June 1st date Ooh. at the Uptown Theater. Okay. Okay. 7 p.m. Uh-huh. On the How We How Did We Get Here tour. Okay. With that countryman, Trace Atkins. <laughs> can see yourself in the shiny green. Yeah, he's uh, he's what you think of when you think of country, man. The, 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 that deep voice sounds like he just got out of work in the hay fields, right? Uh, just picked up his guitar and he's going to play a little tune in the honky-tonk so we can all get down and drink some whiskey, right? I actually know Trace Atkins because when I was at Excelligent, uh, a co-worker of mine that I sat close to uh, had a picture of her and him as her background, had like Trace Atkins t-shirts all the time. Apparently, they were email corresponding. They've met like six or seven times. She's like the number one fan. She's in her like early 60s. Yeah, okay. Loves, loves this guy. And he's been nothing but great to her. Like I said, sends care packages sometimes. Apparently, she gets like a, uh, um auto response email, like a first dib on when he comes into tour. So nice. I imagine she'll be at the Uptown Theater. Um, yeah, and he seems like a really good, great guy. And I've listened to a couple songs. Now, I will say this. Everything he's done as far as as an artist I've respected except for that badonkadonk song that oh, song got, can go straight to hell he's got other songs like that too that are kind of gimmicky this one kind of is that I'm playing too uh, it's called Chrome it's a celebration of Chrome you know what I mean it, it, these are these are uh, the bubblegum pop hits but yes if you get into the deep cuts of his album and some of his other songs very very artistic flavor to him for sure Right, but that song can go straight to hell. The other ones, I respect. But yeah. that one, burn it in a fire as uh, soon as possible. Uh, one of the greatest songs I've ever heard in country music, or any music I, I, I was talking to you offline, is um, is uh, Till the Last Shot's Fired. It's a great song. All right, now let's go to the opposite end of a great song, and let's go to Straight Trash. <laughs> if you would love, if you would love to torture yourself... And reminisce about the early to mid 2000s. Well, then, do I got the great event oh. for you? Oh, yeah. I can't wait at for this. The, at the Riot Room on June 1st as well. This one starts at 9 oh, p.m. So you gotta make a choice here. Yeah, you got to make a choice. You could go with respectable country artist or complete joke of a person, <laughs> Kevin Federline. <laughs> we'll be at the Riot <laughs> Your 
in the club so fresh and clean not the outcast that they like uh, I, I, I guess I knew Kevin Federline did music and I you mentioned oh I'm gonna talk about you you gave me the rundown of the events so I could have the music ready and I was like oh yeah I guess I'll, I'll see what and this is the first one that came up and I uncontrollably was laughing when you came back in the room. Oh, this is this is great stuff, Tom. What? You wouldn't want to go see this? Oh, give me all the drugs in the world, and I will be there in a heartbeat if I have one left. That's the only way you would get me to see Kevin Federline. America's most hated. I know all about you. You're mad that I made it. Made it. America's most hated. I'm not mad that he made it. I'm really not. He, said, he has a win over John Cena, by the way. That's uh, true, that's he a, does. That's yeah. a true fact. Um, God, that would be so fun, wouldn't it? It'd just be like, Britney still hates you. Well, and I would just heckle him the entire time. To see who's going there. Like, who's, I mean, if obviously if you went there, you'd be one of those people, but you got to start looking around and be like, who's like in 2018 going, hey man, Federline, K Fed, is that in Kansas City? Let's go! I forgot we used to call him K-Fed. <laughs> we should go to this. <laughs> yeah, we should go to this. Let's try to get an interview. Oh, that is so funny. <laughs> <laughs> what night is this again? It is going to be Friday, June 1st at 9 p.m. at the Riot Room, 4048 Broadway, Kansas yeah. City, Missouri. God, I bet you he smells like cigarette, chrome uh, deodorant. And, and, uh, and Mad Dog 2020. Yes. Yeah. yeah, he probably smells like Curve Cologne, Wick Checks, and Desperation. Yeah. Yeah, he probably smells like um, a pretzel place at the mall and uh, <laughs> and uh, the um, spray for your Puma shoes to, like, weather protect him. Yeah, he probably smells like Yeah, that. I was going to say, yeah, I was going to say he smells like, uh, he probably smells like meth and new shoes. Yeah, yeah, yes, and, and a fake gold watch. All right, okay, Fed, you got to go see it, right? He's America's most hated. Why would you not go yeah. see that? What a garbage fire of an event. <laughs> Love it. There you go. Sometimes I give you some crap there. All right. Now let's move forward to an actual respectable event. Okay. This is going to be fun. I was going to try to go. It was out of my price range because of the Washington, D.C. trip. I still might do it. I don't know. However, here we go. June 2nd at Kauffman Stadium. It's Sandlot Day at the K. Now, mm. what you get is a ticket to the Royals baseball game, which you'll probably lose, but you will also get to watch the movie <laughs> good bet, on yeah. Brown Vision after the game, and if you pay for the VIP, you can meet Yeah Yeah. And yeah. as Tim does not remember, it's the guy that said, Yeah, hey, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's an L7 weenie. Yeah. yeah. Love that movie. That guy. It's, it's one of the best baseball movies of all time. One of the best kids movies of all time. One of the best nineties movies of all time. And it was one of the best sports kids movies in the nineties, which was the golden age of sports kids movies in the nineties. Yeah. I'll, I'll agree with you on all of those parts. Yeah. It's the best. I just never just was that much into it. I just was never that much into it. I just didn't get, uh, you know, I watched it. And I was like, Oh, it was, you know, yeah, it's a good movie. Oh, 
I could quote that for days. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you get a T-shirt. It's a baseball tee, and it has the lineup of the Sandlot on the back, and it has a big baseball on the front, Yo, and it has a blue sleeves. Kevin, I know. I really want to go to this. Kevin Federline doesn't even give you a T-shirt. Kevin Federline might give you AIDS. <laughs> hey, he might. You never know. You can't get too close. Don't wash your hands a lot if you're going to have Yeah, bring a lot of PRL and some air freshener for gay fans. But anyway, so back to the- Do Oh, God. I said wear glasses. <laughs> Just make sure you're protected. Bring some earplugs. All right. Oh, so anyway, you get a meet. Yeah, yeah. Um, you get a t-shirt. Yeah, you get to see the Royals play the athletics. Um, it's going to be a great time. This is really going to be a fun event. Uh, I would definitely say uh, of all the events I gave you, uh, give the run a chance. Uh, it supports a good cause. Uh, give some good music uh, a chance with Kevin Federline. Yeah, if you hate yourself, go uh, <laughs> check out. Check him out at the right room. Uh, good, really give some good uh, good music a chance with Trace Atkins, a very respectable country artist. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, it's the Sandlot Day at the K. I mean, come on. They do really great events at Kaufman. They definitely have to do it now because they're not winning anymore. So give it a shot. Tim's favorite. Real quick, because, uh, uh, you know, we've been doing this show long. Um, my favorite thing of the week is an Instagram account. All right. Explain it. All right. This one is called Kids Getting Hurt. And that's all the explanation you're probably going to need. But I'm going to give you more because that's what I do. I like to talk. Uh, this is nothing but fun little video after video after video of kids getting hurt. And not what I mean is like, you know, uh, not like a guy just comes up and hits a kid or something. You know what I mean? Like this is uh, innocuous uh, stuff like they're jumping on a trampoline and they fall and bang their head or they're riding on a scooter and they, you know, they, they fall off and it sounds bad to say it out loud, but you will not laugh or you will not not laugh when you go check out Instagram.com slash kids getting hurt. Because as you've said many times, falling is always funny. Falling is always funny. If you don't think falling is always funny, then you don't like funny. And 1 million followers of this account would attest to that because it is amazing i mean i can't even you can't believe that there's this many way for kids to get hurt but there are and it's hilarious so you gotta check it out tom's favorite ben lincecum uh is set to start his swim next week okay actually it's gonna be it's gonna be june 1st so whenever you're hearing this it's gonna be june 1st so um he's gonna set his sights on swimming from tokyo japan to San Francisco, USA. You believe that? That's a long way. Yeah, it's going to take a few months, he said. Uh, he's going to swim eight hours a day every day until he gets to San Francisco, California. Um, he's doing this. Swim eight hours a day. Yeah. Swimming is one of uh, the most intense he... physical activities you can do. Yeah, and he's done some crazy stuff already with uh, swimming expeditions Jeez. like this. Um He's doing this, though, and what I like about it is he's doing it for a good cause because he's he's wanting to bring attention to all of the pollution in the ocean 
that we currently have with all the plastic taking over the coral reef, uh, plastic, you know, getting caught up in seals and other types of fish in um, their habitat. Uh, so I thought that was a good credit to him. He's doing something. He's raising money. You can go to thelongestswim.com if you want to get more information about his story, if you want to support him. Uh, he has a photo gallery there. Uh, he has a media room. Uh, he has a live tracker that he will start, a logbook, all the fun stuff. Um, but, yeah, it's Ben Lincecum to swim from Tokyo to San Francisco to bring attention to pollution in the ocean. You told me you swam for eight hours. One day, I'm thoroughly impressed. I'm, like, flabbergasted. And this guy's going to do it multiple days, man, for months. Like, He's going to do it for months. That's yeah. insane. Tim and Tom. Tom, we should get out of here. Uh, uh, hope you guys liked the snippets of those interviews. Hope you will go back and listen to some of them. Uh, because there's more than those just great answers, right? We, we're better than just one good question and answer per interview, I promise you. So go back and check oh, those yeah. out. And uh, I know we normally you know we normally lead out with the Royal Chief, but I mean, we can't not play out Kevin Federline, right? Good God. Yeah, I mean, listen to this. I don't even know what he's saying. <laughs> Well, here's my fun fact. Uh, you ready for the fun fact to end the show? Yeah. Uh, the smell that grass gives off when it's cut is actually a distress signal, much like Kevin Federline's music. You're basically smelling the grass screaming in pain, as if you were at the riot room listening to Kevin Federline. Bring that Brazil booty on the flow. Up, down, all around. Work that shit to the funk sound. Wanna see what I'm gonna owe. I just send the vocals out. Oh, oh, oh.